So I uh, <clears throat> shared a message a few, some weeks ago, Pastor John asked if I would come and share a message. Um, uh, I don't think this was here earlier. Let me just move this over here somewhere. Um, on prayer, the importance of prayer. And uh, so when he was looking forward to this time this week, I appreciate his invitation to come back and trusting he's having a restful time with his family. And so honored and privileged to be here today. And there's some people probably uh, joining us online. And if you are, we want to welcome you into our worship service. This congregation, I'm telling you, I've been so impressed with your team and how they've handled taking care of you and this congregation in the midst of this virus that's enabled us to come and worship today. Uh, between services, they're sanitizing the seats and armrests, and we're all, you know, been wearing our masks and social distancing. And I just want to commend you for, for the effort that your staff have done in order to allow us to have this time and the volunteers who've taken uh, the time to come. Thank you to the worship team served us the last two services. I've just been really blessed uh, by the worship and in the earlier service uh, at 8 uh, by, by those who came to worship here as well. It's been a real privilege to be here today and I hope this morning that this word that I felt so strongly led to share with you will be an encouragement to you, uh, that it will be clear that the Holy Spirit would do the work that only He can do, which is to open our minds and our understanding and to take the truth of His Word and apply it into our life. I can proclaim the Word, but it's the work of the Spirit that concludes the message. And so this morning, and if you're listening, I'm praying that, that you'll just be attentive to what God wants to say to you, because uh, we're not here by accident. I, I'm never in a place where I just go, oh, well, that was just a coincidence. I'm, that's just not how I live life. And so I know that at this very time, at this season in history, this day in our lives, God has orchestrated this event. And so you're here for a purpose, and, and you don't want to miss it. You know, you, when you, if you knew the God of the universe has something he wanted to say to me today, you sure don't want to miss that, do you? I know I don't. And so I'll take the word that I feel he's laid on my heart, and you pray with me that the Spirit will take it and apply it, that your heart would be open, your mind alert, and that uh, God will do the work that only he can do. So the power of the gospel, have confidence in the gospel. Um, I got a, a little card from a vacation Bible school group. And so they had been encouraged to write us a little note to thank us at the IMB for our service uh, to, to, to the Great Commission and World Missions. And so I got this little note, and inside the teacher had, you know, had written, thank you for helping share Jesus around the world. And then had left space at the bottom so that the, so that the children could put their own you know, words or message to whoever got this. And so this, this was the word, this is the message that I got, and I know this has to be a little boy. I just know this has to be a little boy, because this is what was written. Good luck and stay alive. <laughs> good luck and stay alive. Well, that's a good word. That's a good word today. Good luck and stay alive. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when 
I really like getting good news. Do you like getting good news? No, don't, don't, don't you have some days when you're just like, man, I wish I should get some good news. Uh, we've had some good news along the way in these last several years, but I, there was an event that sticks in my mind as one of those just emotional moments when uh, we just got really, really good news. Uh, I was born in Africa. My wife and I also served there uh, as missionaries for 20 years, and our four children were born there, and I have three girls and a boy. And my son Giles got married, I don't know, now I think they've had their 10-year anniversary. And so they began to just put out that, hey, we're trying to get pregnant and, and have a baby. And so, you know, my wife and I um, had been encouraging this. And uh, we felt like it's the prize we get for not killing him when he was growing up. And so we started praying for him. And Leanne and I, um, with our first child, Sarah, had a very difficult time for her to get pregnant. In fact, after some years, had been seeing some specialists in South Africa to see if they could help us. So we've been in this journey. We, we understand this pilgrimage when, when it's difficult. And our son and his wife, after a couple of years, nothing had happened. And we knew, okay, this is difficult. This is a difficult season for them. We wouldn't talk to them about it, wouldn't ask them about it. Just prayed, just prayed and prayed. And maybe you've been through this. And maybe uh, you, you had the desire of your heart, or someone watching, the desire of your heart to have the child and you weren't able. And my wife and I face the, the reality of that. We understand the feelings around that. So if you've been there, you know how this is feeling for the mother and father of our, uh, of our son. Well, several years went by, and our youngest daughter felt called to go overseas and serve uh, amongst the Kurdish people. And she was going to be gone for two years, and we were feeling sad about that. It was Christmas time. And we had gathered here, we live in Henrico over near Richmond, and gathered in our home, uh, kind of with this heaviness of we won't see her for two, we won't have Christmas with her here for two years. Her brothers and sisters were, you know, were feeling this, um, this grief of separation from their sister, and so it was a bit of a bittersweet time, you know, and we were having a bit of a hard time. We had some presents for her that uh, we wanted her to have when she left to, when she felt lonely or discouraged, she could open this at this time or open that at that time. So we'd all written notes and things like that. And so my son and his wife, Lacey, gave her an envelope with some pictures in it of you know their life and where they live and different places they've been and, and just to kind of remind her of, of, of them. And so she, she gets the envelope, she's opening it, and she's teary-eyed, and she's going through the pictures and then she stops at one, and she just squeals. And I'm like, I'm sitting on the couch, and I remember thinking, that must be some picture. I <laughs> wonder what that one is. And she holds it up and like this, and it's a sonogram, picture of a sonogram. And our son and his wife are announcing to their sister first that they're going to have a baby. Let me just tell you, I was a charismatic. 
I'm just serious. I mean, I was just like crying and excited and just hugging. And I mean, as you can, can you sense that was good news? I mean, that for us at that moment with all that was going on in our lives, our daughter's life, I mean, at just that moment, it was just really good news. Now, the word gospel, when you read that in the scripture, and it's such a common word in the New Testament, the gospel, preach the gospel. He came declaring the gospel. The word gospel in the Greek literally means good news. Euangelion, good angelo news, good news. In the noun form, it's just describing something and saying good news. In the verb form, it's like declaring it. It's good news. And when Jesus came, he came declaring the gospel. He came announcing good news. And what was this good news? What was the gospel? Well, most of us, as we think about the word gospel, we tend to go straight to the gospel of salvation or the good news of salvation. But for Jesus, that was a much bigger word. When he said, I have come to bring good news, that good news included three major things. First of all, he said, I have brought this piece of good news. The kingdom of God is here. See, the Israelites were praying and thinking about a time when the kingdom would come, the Messiah would come, and they were imagining that it would be like King David. A new King David would come restore the glory of the empire of Israel. They would get the glory of those days back when David was their king. They're looking for an earthly kingdom with an earthly king who will reestablish the borders of David. And Jesus comes and he says, I know what you're looking for, but I got news for you. The kingdom is here, and it is among you. And Jesus came declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. He said, the kingdom is now present. It is in you. Here is the kingdom. And then the second part of the good news was this. All right, if the kingdom's here, how do I become a citizen of that kingdom? You see, a Jewish person assumed... Well, if I'm a Jew, I'm in. I'm automatically in. And Jesus comes and he says, nope, not quite. The kingdom of God is here. And you can become a citizen of this kingdom. And we'll look in Romans chapter 10 and find out what Romans chapter 10 has to say about becoming a citizen of of this kingdom. But then there was also a third aspect to this statement. The third aspect was when you're in this kingdom and you become a part of this kingdom, what are your rights and privileges? In other words, if I'm a citizen of this new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth, if I'm in this kingdom and I'm now a citizen of this kingdom, what are my rights and privileges? And Jesus came to announce that good news of what it meant to be in the kingdom. Now, 
If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and we'll begin to read in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That's the word of faith which we're preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, I will save you. I'm just waiting. Can anyone say amen? <laughs> oh, friends, listen. That, that statement, if we were in the context of the outsiders to the Jewish faith, if we were on the outside, if we were Gentiles and we understood what that just said, oh, we'd come up out of our seats. Because here's the deal. This point in their history, the Jewish people consider that they have the truth. And if you want the truth, you must become first Jewish in order to inherit the promises of Israel. That was their belief. They had people seeking for truth. And they were called seekers. In the time of Israel when they would have their feasts and their seasons of celebration, seekers could come. But there was in the, in the uh, Orthodox community, when you went down to the synagogue, there was a little place assigned for you. You couldn't sit with the citizens. No, you had your little separate place. You're a seeker. You're kind of on the outside. So here's where you get to come. Oh, you're like a second-class citizen. And if you're a woman, sorry about you. An Orthodox Jewish man had several statements he'd make. I'm glad I wasn't born a woman or a dog. <laughs> Woo! Boy, weren't you valued. You went down to the synagogue. There's a little special place for you. Oh, you're a Jewish woman. Yeah, you're a citizen. But sorry, your rights and privileges, you're kind of you're over here. Special place for you. Now, here comes Jesus. And openly to the Gentiles, the unbelievers. Listen. If an Orthodox Jew is on his way to the synagogue and he even brushes against a Samaritan, he has to go through ritual cleansing before he can even go into the synagogue. That's what they thought of the Samaritan. So here Jesus comes and he declares the kingdom of God. Now all the Jews are going, oh yeah, that's right, that's us, that's about us. And suddenly Jesus says, oh no, no, no. And later Paul amplifies it and he says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, I will save you. 
Whoa! This goes against everything they believe and have been taught. No, you got to be kidding me. How can they inherit the promises of Abraham if they weren't born into the Jewish family? That just can't be. And here Jesus comes along and he declares that not only is the kingdom for the Israelites, but if you want to be a citizen of this kingdom and you're a Gentile, there's a way for you to gain access into this kingdom to become a citizen of heaven with all the rights and privileges that go with that. Oh, friends, when you hear this word, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're counting on that today. He says there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, educated or uneducated, Jewish or Greek. All who call on the name of the Lord, I'll save you. Oh, friends, this morning, aren't you glad he didn't put in there if? I will save you if? Oh, no. He doesn't say if you're good enough. He doesn't say if you're smart enough. He doesn't say if you're old enough. He doesn't say if you're born on the right side of the tracks. He doesn't say if you're rich enough. He doesn't say if you're male or if you're female. He doesn't say anything except whosoever. Now, I want to ask you a question. How in the world can the Apostle Paul make such a declaration? How in the world could that Apostle go to the Romans in the Roman Empire Go to the Greeks in the Greek Empire and say to them, Oh, if any of you guys want to be saved, just call on Jesus and he'll save you. How could he do that? That guy had been trained by some of the best minds in, in the Jewish world at that time in the theology of the Scripture. He knows it. How in the world can he say that? Well... Because in the scripture, the death of Jesus on the cross changed everything. Everything. The fact of his death on the cross of Calvary changed everything. And the scriptures declare what that change was. And I want you to look with me at three different statements that are made uh, starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1, verse 18, here's the declaration. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, uh, as of a lamb unblemished, and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now friends, here's the picture of the scripture. The Bible's clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God as our maker, as our creator, had the right to establish the standard 
by which we should live. Now, we would have uh, some to think that God, yes, He is the Creator God, and you know, but He made this standard that is just impossible. He just kind of set the bar so high, uh, no one could possibly live up to it. He, he just he put in all these kind of rules and regulations just to mess my life up, just to make me miserable, just to make me unhappy. He's trying to, to put things in the world that I just know if I could just have freedom to do those things, I'll be so happy. And God just, he just is mean. He's mean. And friends, we fail to understand the heart of God. God created you and set a standard by which we should live that would give you the best life with the greatest purpose and the greatest freedom and the greatest joy that you could possibly have. So here's the question. If that's true, then why do I break his laws? Why do I disobey? Oh, you know what? Down inside every human being is a rebellious spirit. We just don't like anyone telling us what to do. We just don't like the fact that there's some kind of rule that someone made up and I didn't have, they didn't ask me my opinion. They didn't ask me what I think about that. So I didn't give any input, I don't have to obey it. Oh, brothers and sisters, God set a standard in the universe by which we would best function as our creator, God, and I'll tell you, our rebellious spirit, aided by this enemy called Satan, whose one purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he comes along as a great tempter. And he will lure us to disobey God. And he will make it so appetizing, so appealing. Oh, if you could just do this. Oh, if you could just have that. Oh, what joy you're going to have. What fun you're going to have. And as soon as you step over the line, then what does he do? The great accuser. He comes and he accuses you and he pushes you down and he piles guilt and shame into your life. And you get this sense of helplessness. And, and he'll tell you, you'll never be free from this. This is something you'll never break. And he becomes the great accuser, the great destroyer. I've traveled all over the world. And I've seen the human condition in many places. And it's not a pretty sight. In our culture, we just dress nicer. But our hearts are wicked and evil. And left to ourselves, we would destroy ourselves. And so, what are we left to do? Well, see, there's some who want to fix this problem by themselves. I can see the brokenness. I can see the addiction. I can see the shame and the guilt. So, I will just make up my mind, my will, and I'll change it, and I'll get better. How are those New Year's resolutions working out for you? Our willpower just won't take us far enough. Oh, and so what do we do with criminals? Let's lock them away and reform them. Listen, you can't reform the human heart. 
That sense of evil comes from inside of us. The brokenness is inside of us. There's no medication I can take to fix it. The thing that is wrong with me that separates me from holy God required a supernatural action. And what God did in His wisdom and grace and in His mercy and kindness is He provided a solution for Gordon Ford's sin problem. And here in the Scripture is this word. He redeemed me through the blood of Jesus. And what does that mean? What is this redeemed business? I don't know if you've ever put something on layaway. If you ever want something and the shop or the owners of the shop say, okay, you can have it, I'll keep it with a promise. You give me a down payment, pay me some now, and I'll hold it. I'll hold what it is you want. And when you're ready and you can pay full price, you come back to me and you pay me full price and you've redeemed it. In other words, you've bought it. You've paid it in full. I don't know if you've ever pawned something. You go down to a pawn shop guy, you say, I need some money. And he says, well, what have you got of value? Let's take my phone for an example. It ain't worth much these days. Go down there and say, okay, well, look, this is what I got of value today. Well, you give me for this. He looks at this. He assesses its value. You're never going to give me what it's worth, but he's going to give me something less. He's going to say, okay, I'll give you this much for that phone. Here's your tag. If you ever want that phone back, you're going to have to pay what I've loaned you with interest. So on this day, you come back to me. Here's what you got to pay me and what you can redeem it. I come back with my tag. I come back with the funds that are required. I hand him the money. He gives me my phone back. And what have I done? I have. I've redeemed it. Now, what's this picture of? When I sin, Satan has a right to my soul. I have disobeyed holy God. I've broken his laws. I cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven in that condition. If I were to die in that condition, the enemy holds the right to my soul. And here's the picture of the scripture. God seeing Gordon Ford in that situation, he says, okay, what price must be paid in order to redeem him? And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid that penalty, he paid that price, and by paying the price in his life and blood, he redeemed me out of my sin. He bought me. Um, I was on the island of Cuba, and uh, while there, I saw these people who are members of a cult called the Santeria cult. Would you put that first picture up for me? And uh, the Santeria, it's a form of religion. They dress in all white. They, they practice occultism, spiritism. They're kind of really into cursing and, and into deep spiritual darkness. This guy was one of the, considered kind of a high priest amongst the Santeria cult. And next picture is a picture of he and his wife. And I don't know if where you sit, but I wish you could, if you could just look in his eyes, there just is a glint of evil there. Deep, shackled, chained in the spiritual realm of darkness. And then something happens to him. Now look at this next picture. You see that? Okay, back it up for me. Okay, and this one, he's got a mustache, a little thing here. 
Shave the mustache, take that off, put on a different shirt. Now look at him and his wife. Do you see any difference there? You know what happened to that guy? He heard the gospel. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And his wife did the same. Repented of their sin, turned from darkness to receive the gift of salvation. And when he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary was the penalty that redeemed that man from his sin. You know what he's doing today? He's a Baptist pastor in Cuba. Redeemed. I was down in Brazil, in Rio, in some meetings. And while I was there, uh, the home mission board president came up to me with his phone, and he said, Pastor, I want to show you a picture. And so he goes through his pictures, and he shows me a picture. And when I looked at it, I'm telling you, it was hard to even identify the person in that picture as a human being. It's a picture of a woman. He told me she was in her early 20s. You would never have guessed that by looking at that picture. Skin and bones. Skin and bones. Flesh just hanging off her arms. Pockmarked from shooting up crack cocaine. Hair disheveled. Face wrinkled. Eyes rolled back in her head. Just a horrible looking piece of human flesh. And he said, I don't want you to forget this picture. I said, man, I, it's still burned in my memory. I can still see that picture of that lady. After we were done, there was a meeting going on across the street from, the, uh, from our, 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 building, our office buildings where they were having chapel service for their Bible school students. Two-year program. They're about to finish graduate. He said, let's go over at chapel. They'd like you to bring some greetings and share a word before... Uh, they, they conclude. So we go over there, they're singing, come in, and uh, you know, about 30, 40 people in the room, men and women, uh, share a word, greet them, share a word of encouragement. And when we get through, we're dismissing with a song, he motions this couple to come over. I want you to see this couple. This is Maria. This is the woman who was in that picture. Now I want you to tell Gordon Ford. What can take a person who is in deep spiritual darkness, whose physical being is destroyed, self-image has been destroyed, whose life has been destroyed, and make that out of her? It's the gospel. And what happened was she experienced what in the scripture is another word for what took place on the cross at Calvary. And it's the word reconciled. The word reconciled. Romans 5 says, Even so much more are we reconciled with God through the death of Jesus Christ. Now what does that word mean? Well, this is an accounting term. I was out on the, uh, in, growing up in Africa as a missionary kid and my mom was the, not only a doctor, but she was the bookkeeper for the hospital, keeping their, their income and, 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 and disbursements. And so she was out there working on the books, and I came out, and she'd been working at it for like hours, three, four hours. And I said, Mom, what's, what's wrong? She says, I cannot find my mistake. The, the, the outflow, our disbursements are not reconciling with our income. Something is wrong. 
and I cannot find where the mistake is. They're, they're just, I cannot reconcile these two. And I'm like, well, mom, like, like, what are we talking about? How much out are we? And she said, well, in, in Zimbabwe money at that time, about 25 cents. 25 cents. And I remember feeling so bad for my mom. I'm like, well, mom, you want some of my pocket money? And, and she's like, no, no, you don't understand, Gordon. She won't explain math to me. Today, it's just 25 cents. But if I can't find this problem next year, when I check the books, it could be 100 or 1,000. A couple of years from now, if I still don't get it, it could be 10,000. See that small little problem that was out of reconciliation with the, with the income? You see what it can do? Now listen, what does sin do to our lives? How many lies does it take to qualify as a liar? You know what the problem is with lying? You can never tell just one lie. It always calls for backup. Not only does it call for backup, but you better remember what you said for the rest of your life if you lie. That one lie, when it's left alone, it begins a process of disease in your soul. How many things do you have to take unjustly to be called a thief? Oh, there's thievery going on in our schools all the time. Students stealing other people's work. Students cheating on exams. Students writing down they did something they never did. Oh, I read the report. I read that book that I was supposed to report on, and, and they cheated. Oh, the process starts down in your soul. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to go. And it'll keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it'll cost you more than you're ever able to pay. Devastates the soul. The Bible said every human being born on this planet has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Maria's account with God as a result of her sin would appear to any person looking at it, she is way out of balance. And what did God do at Calvary? When Jesus died on the cross in the place of Maria, the blood of Jesus shed for her reconciled her account. Put it right with God. And when Maria put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God looks at Maria's account and says, we're good. Reconciled. Oh, friends, today, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, this message of the gospel, that's why it's so important. And that's why it's such good news. Because you don't have to do anything to pay God back for your sin. How I grieve and burden over those who believe in their minds. There are religious beliefs who teach this. You don't know if you're good enough. You don't know if you've done enough good. So you've got to do good all the days of your life, as many times as you can every day. In the Kurdish, it's, it's hair. Do good. Because if you do good, you garner favor with God. One day if you die, you go to heaven. God has this scale, and he's going to weigh this in the balance. Your good deeds here, your evil deeds here. And if 
the good deeds outweigh the evil ones, you're good. You get to go to heaven. You get to be in paradise. Oh, but if your evil deeds outweigh your good, sorry, you're not going to make it. And when will you know? On the day you land there and God weighs you in the balance. Well, friends, here's the unfortunate truth. No human being will ever be able to do enough good to make up for their sin. He holds me accountable for every action, every deed. He holds me accountable for every word I speak. He holds me accountable for the very motive and intent of my heart. And friends, when I stand before the throne of God, there's only one conclusion to that judgment. Now, there's going to be some weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth at the judgment seat of Christ. But here's one thing that you will not hear there. That wasn't fair. Oh, I'll get my just desserts. There's nothing I can do to pay God back. Oh, to hear the good news of the gospel. Gordon, you don't have to do anything. Jesus died on the cross and his death reconciled the account. So when I come in faith and repent of my sin and receive the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, God looks at me and I am as spotless as his son. I am as sinless as his son in the eyes of God. Why? Because Jesus stands before God on my behalf. And his death has reconciled me to his father. There's one other word here in the scripture. Not only redeemed me, not only reconciled me, but in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, there's a third word that we find in the scripture. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, here's the statement that we have. It says, just get there, it says, but uh, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to do what? And to give his life a ransom for many. Now here's a picture in the Bible. Picture two armies at war with each other. And for some reason, one of the armies breaks through and captures a high, important person in the other army. Let's say it's a general. They capture this general. They take him back onto their side of the conflict, and they're holding him. The other side is like, we need that guy. He's too important to us. We want him for whatever reason. They send these ambassadors to the other army. What do we have to do to get our general back? And the the, the owners, the ones who have him in capture, who've captured him, who have him in captive, what do they say? They say, we're holding him for ransom. For ransom. You watch any TV at all when there's these kidnapping cases. You know this. Everyone's sitting around the telephone waiting for the call. Why? Because we want to know the terms of ransom. What do they want in order to release the captive? Well, that is this picture in the scripture. Here it is. Gordon Fort, when he sins, the enemy Satan has a right to my life. He holds me captive. I am held by the shackles of my own sin, but the enemy is there and he has a right to me. I have sinned against God and Satan has captured me and he holds me ransom. 
Who's going to pay the price to release me? Well, I'd like to think my mama would. <laughs> Hopefully my dad. But who will pay the price for your ransom? What will it cost for you to be set free? What if you would love me so much, Pastor John would just say, well, Brother Gordon, man, I'll give my life for you. Guess what? It's not good enough. What? I mean, what more can a man give than to lay down his life for his friend? I mean, he's willing to die for you, and that's not a good enough ransom? Why isn't that ransom good enough? Because I hate to tell you, brothers and sisters, but you see, Brother John was once a sinner. He'd done some stuff he probably shouldn't have done. I know his mama. And so he is an imperfect ransom. Even his life is not good enough to exchange for my life. Oh, friends, one time with our new missionaries, we had to have a difficult conversation to let them know that when you go to the mission field, if you're taken captive, the International Mission Board is not paying a ransom. That's tough. And you might say, boy, you guys, y'all are, are mean, man. Why wouldn't we pay a ransom? Because every other missionary becomes a target. And so we can't. This lady, young mother, was in that session. She was really disturbed. First of all, she's thinking about, now how am I going to tell my mom and daddy this? But she's thinking about herself. What, what am I going to do? She said as she was sitting struggling with that, the words of an old hymn came to her mind. One day, she said, the song says, when with the ransomed in glory, one day his face I'll see. You know the hymn? When with the ransomed in glory, one day his face I'll see. And she said it suddenly occurred to her. I don't need the IMB to pay my ransom. Jesus Christ has already paid my ransom. Friends, when he died on the cross, he ransomed you. He paid the price, the full price on the cross when he made that declaration, it is finished. He wasn't just saying a few little words there. Have you thought about that? The words from the cross, when the Son of God, Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth, is about to depart and die on a cross, what does he have to say? Why would he say that? It is finished. You know why? Oh, this is a picture of the Lamb of God taking the wrath and the sin of the whole world into himself. He's drinking all of that sin into himself. And his Father is pouring out his judgment upon his Son. The wrath of God falling upon his Son. Even Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because in that moment, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for me. And on the cross as he died and carried my sin into himself, he was drinking the dregs of my judgment. And he drank that whole cup down. And he said, it is finished. And he turned the cup upside down, slammed it on the table, and it's done. 
Oh, Gordon Ford has been ransomed on the cross of Calvary. We had a group of deaf guys that we were working with in East Asia. Close with this. There were 15 of them. Found them out on the street. Living out just hopeless lives. Castaways. Some of our missionaries had begun to learn their sign language and took them to a retreat center and shared with them. And uh, at the end of that week, after sharing the gospel with this group, this one man, the implications began to sink in on his heart. And he said to the missionaries, he signed, Are you saying if I believe in Jesus, I never again have to fear the evil spirits in our, in our world, in our land? And our missionary signs back, That is exactly right. And this deaf man signs, That is the best news anyone has ever told me. And at the end of that week, one by one, each of those 15 came to faith. They held a baptismal service. Because of security, they had to find a, a secret place to baptize. I want you to see this guy getting baptized. He's signing his testimony. This is the nail prints in the hand for, for the name of Jesus. And now look at this picture of his expression after he's baptized. Friends, you want some good news? He ransomed you. He redeemed you. He reconciled you. This morning, before you leave, two things. Here's the first thing you need to think about. I want you to answer this question in your own heart. Are you a citizen of heaven or are you just a member of the church? Are you a citizen of heaven or are you just a member of the church? There's a big difference. You say, Brother Gordon, I've been on the rolls of the church for 40 years. I'm a deacon, Sunday school teacher. I sing in the praise team. That's not the question. The question is, have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, declaring with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you have received a new birth, a spiritual birth that takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit? You have been transformed. The Spirit of God came to live in you and empower you to live out this Christian life, and you have been born again, and you are a citizen of heaven. That's what I'm asking you. And if you are, second thing, that when you leave this morning, remember this. You have good news. You have a good gospel. And out there are people who are lost in darkness, and they need to hear it. They need you to declare it in the way that you can as you go out from this place. Carry the good news of the gospel, and as God gives you opportunity, declare this good news to the lost world that's around us. You can be reconciled. You can be redeemed. You have been ransomed. And brothers and sisters, the gospel is powerful. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, today, remind us the incredible blessing we have 
in the gospel. This incredible declaration. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, I will save you, O Father. Those of us who are believers in this room, let us go from this place. Encouraged in our heart that you are still firmly fixed in the heavens. You haven't gone anywhere. History is running exactly on time today. We can trust you. And if there's one in here or one watching on the live stream who's lost, they've never been born again. They've never been given this new birth in Christ. Oh, today, let them turn in repentance and faith to receive this gift of salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe Him, to trust Him, to accept Him, and to be born into His kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.